0: This is Lisa DeLay and you are listening to the Spark My Muse podcast. So I'll say welcome to everybody listening in to Spark My Muse. Today, my guest is Robert Munson, who was a guest before and we talked about grief and community in a really profound episode that has gotten a lot of traction. Today, I'm introducing him again, reintroducing him again, because we're going to be talking about his book, Subversive Stillness, an anti-racist devotional for the everyday believer, which is also the selection for the book club in February. So this will go out earlier than February. So hopefully you can buy it, read it along with us. And it is available at Subculture Inc., which Robert will show you the way to that when, when he begins to speak about this book. But thank you for creating this book. And maybe you can lead us into what subculture is about and sort of the layout of this book. There's four parts and and maybe how you got to put it together.
1: Yeah. Um, so just a bit about subculture first, um, and then I'll talk about the, the book. Uh, so subculture is an interesting organization uh, that the founder, uh, Tamise, uh, created, and I hopped in with her with some others. And uh, the organization basically seeks to remove barriers from Black college students. And really, in her heart, she had been involved with various campus ministries and really, she saw this gap as she had been doing campus ministry. And as, as many of us have been doing campus ministry, um, that we had been focusing on the gospel message for, for black college students, but there was a lack of practical things for, for black college students. And so as we would minister, we noticed that black college students, uh, they had a, a real wealth of practical things that they that they needed answers to, right? And they had questions of theodicy. And many of them needed real tangible answers to why God didn't show up in everyday life, right? And so really, uh, subculture really was birthed out of uh, the need for God to show up in the everyday lives of Black college students. So really, we... Form this organization to remove impediments uh, from Black college students, right? So the organization gives scholarships, uh, content, articles, blogs, books to Black college students uh, and to show a different side of Christ to these students. To me, started this uh, organization from the ground up with nothing, <laughs> like $0 in the bank. and. Um, and it's amazing to see the growth in three years mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah. from literally nothing to something, right? So so it's been a pleasure to, to serve with them and to have content creators, to have staff
0: mm-hmm. in
1: this place. So you can go to subcultureinc.org to find out more information about uh, the organization. Out of that place, I had been thinking about this anti-racist movement that had really grown traction over the past couple of years. And you've been seeing it as anti-racism as this buzzword in the news over, especially the past year and a half, right? Right. <laughs> and, it, it, and it had been part of this quote unquote liberal agenda. That <laughs> had uh, been in the media, but especially uh, religious media had been afraid of the term anti-racism. People didn't know what it meant, and people were afraid. So as it had grown traction, I noticed that conservative friends had been afraid of of what it meant, and and especially white friends oh. were, were like, oh, "I don't, I don't know what anti-racism is." and As I read more and more articles about anti-racism, as I read more books on anti-racism, I noticed, if I'm honest, that there wasn't a lot of work about how to incorporate anti-racism, which is really Is the work of removing barriers of racism in our society, right? And it's uh, doing the work to remove impediments from our society that, that stops Imago Day from thriving of all kinds, right? So it's not just black people. It's all different kinds of people, right? Of all ethnic groups, right? Um, I noticed there was, there was a lack of a spiritual experiences, spiritual work and there was a lot of maybe anger in a lot of the work and maybe there was a lot of name calling there was a lot of maybe pointing out where white people were wrong which some of some of that is true a lot of the anger is true a lot of the um history is true uh of white supremacy is true but i i i felt like that's where it stopped mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, I found myself frustrated in that place. And if all we talk about with white supremacy is uh, is the history, where do we go from there? Mm -hmm. I kept coming back to this place of how do we ground ourselves in anti-racism as a spiritual ethic? And Mm -hmm. how can we move past... Uh, name-calling, how can we move past the history lessons, and how can we ground ourselves in spirituality. And I I started to think about how can I ground myself and others in the lessons of the desert fathers and mothers mixed with anti-racism and look towards the future, I thought there's nothing like that out there, and so eventually I thought, okay, I want to write something. Yeah. <laughs> so I began to uh, write little journal entries, and uh, that's how I stumbled on writing this book. Essentially, so that was a long-winded way to say that's how I got here. Uh, so there was nothing like that. I-, I just felt this frustration that yes, I read Ibram Kendi, yes, I read Robin D'Angelo, but. Those were more for the secular mainstream, but they weren't telling me how to walk in love,
0: Mm. in
1: light, in truth, um, moving forward with uh, not just white brothers and sisters, but Latinx brothers and sisters, how to walk in truth with uh, indigenous brothers and sisters, and how to ground myself in an ethic.
0: And the way your book is set up, It's a four-week devotional. It's seven days and four weeks, and there's four parts. What you begin with, interestingly, not everybody's going to see this coming Mm -hmm. because this is about prayer and action. It's about Mm -hmm. practices and thinking. People are thinking, okay, anti-racism. I've heard of that. Those are the protest marches, right? Is that it? And then you begin with, oops, rest. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me about how did that... Again this is a spiritual grounding that you're doing this is a, a formational spiritual formation grounding kind of in the I sense the same heart as Howard Thurman in that tradition yeah and you start there and so that's really part of this beginning place why start there
1: yeah, uh and I'll even say this, it's funny that I wrote a devotional because I hate devotionals. Um <laughs> so so disclaimer, uh you just told I, <laughs> I, I I absolutely hate devotionals. Uh and they're they, because I feel they're cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. Um you know, read this uh <laughs> psalm, repeat after me, mm-hmm. say this prayer and your life gets better is what i feel uh, when i read most devotionals mm-hmm. and and i feel life isn't like that you know lisa and so for me writing a devotional is the irony of my life so <laughs> <laughs> so um and so i will say writing this devotional i don't presume that this is the end all be all of this conversation i merely wanted to start a conversation that I hope people expand on and make better. I want people to write better devotionals, better books. Um, I just want people to, to start this way, right? Yeah. So, um, to, so to answer your question specifically, I thought to start with rest because often spiritual formation starts typically in most formation models starts with metrics that can be controlled in metrics that are grounded in you doing things that make yourself look better. Mm. And my thought is if we are gonna be grounded in uh, having a life that reflects a God multi-ethnic and multi-racial and anti-racist, we've gotta hit the brakes. We have to rest and reflect. And so for me, that's the way my life operates. I work from the place of rest, um, rather than, uh, working to get to a place of rest, right? Mm. So for me, selfishly, this is, I want to <laughs> reflect the, the way my life operates. Things are easier that way. <laughs> um, uh, and, and also when I was writing this, it was during a time of turmoil in the nation mm-hmm. and, I felt that the nation needed a rest, right? And if I'm honest, I wanted to turn the lights out in the whole nation, you know. And and so, so anyway, so thinking uh, if we're going to have a rhythm of of working through these these issues month after month after month, hey, why don't you have a week or a month? every year where you have this rhythm of rest, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: right? And so you work through these quotes where you work through this dialogue of rest, right? And and so, so yeah, so that's why I started with rest. I set up where you could do it as a week Mm -hmm. of rest or if you want to expand it out and you want to take a whole month of it, sure, go ahead and use those same prompts and do it for a whole month but at least take a week and rest and reflect.
0: The way that the devotional set up for someone who hasn't seen it is usually there's a, a quote at the top or a verse and then a short meditation and then a call to action. And that's really where the rubber meets the road where you do something in your life. You're not just thinking about it, but you're doing something in your life that works to change you. And you say in the beginning that this is really a, a not a white centered Book as most people, in at least in the United States, are used to reading. And were you expecting that most of your audience be a like, general population audience, or a black audience, or a white audience? What did you expect when people buy this book? Who did you expect would read it?
1: I really, my my hope and my desire was that all different ethnicities. Um, age ranges and genders would read, uh, this book. Um, that really was in my heart and as I wrote, and that's why I picked from so many different, um, people as I, I picked quotes too. And I really wanted people's minds to be, uh, kind of flipped around, um, even by what you thought of the word devotional, you're not going to find tons of scripture in here Um, <laughs> because I wanted, I want you to find the beauty of God in the quote unquote secular realm, because that's where I find God. I want you to find it in lyrics to songs. I want you to find it in um Supreme court justices. I want you to find it in, um, a Tupac song. I want you to find it in Indigenous thinkers, uh, and so yeah, I was really hoping um, that anyone could pick this up and you would see the beauty in these words.
0: Yeah, well, that is a great segue into maybe when if you could read page fourteen because you are grounding the framework for this entire effort. I it seems in the Imago Dei, which is God's image in us. And God's image in us, when, when we meet someone else, whether they look like us or they're from where we're from, the image of God is in them. And these false images of God crop up. Um, you know, missionaries took certain image of images of God to places overseas mm. and then made the people over there worship the God that they brought to them instead yeah, of the God yeah. that was already there in them. Yeah. And could be reflected through their culture and their ways uh, that would be redeemed through Jesus. But when we go back to the Imago Day, it cuts through culture, it cuts through, you know, it goes back to the source. And that's what's very beautiful about, you know, recognizing who we are uh, and then throwing out the false idols, the false gods that we've erected, whether they've been forced on us or whether we've co-opted with them, yeah. um, it was starting over. And if you would read that portion, that is a, a beautiful way to kind of be introduced into your book, but also into a way of thinking about the the lifestyle of anti-racism, not, not a trend or not something that We'll get over <laughs> but that this this lifestyle is how we behave in the world because we are gods and because god became incarnated in a brown body mm. and a poor brown body and and was crucified for us mm. and that's the way god works because that's god's project so that would be really a wonderful a treat for us if you would be able to do that
1: Yeah, for sure. So it says, Imago Dei forms the framework for anti-racism work. It is hard to start at any other place when thinking about combating the insidious nature of what has ravaged not only America, but the entire globe. If one starts at the historical point to combat racism, it is easy to run into a dead end, because in different ways, humankind has seemingly always sought to dominate one another. Where do you draw the line on condemning one culture as opposed to another? Do you start at the sentimental level to fuel anti-racism work? No. Eventually, emotions run out and numbness begins to take over. Thinking deeper, what is considered racism can be considered subjective depending on whose vantage point one is looking from. Looking through the eyes of the privileged and the dominant, it is easy to dismiss many things as simply coincidence, not racist. This is juxtaposed with the marginalized and the disadvantaged. They probably see many things through the lens of racism. It is probably very easy for them to see where racism has marred their chances in life, freedom, and dreams. Who do you believe? The answer, tenderly, should be neither. Both perspectives have weight, but leave it open to power and influence to be the tiebreaker. The rooting of anti-racism beckons from the garden. Imago Dei calls us home with God. Looking at society, history, government, and structures of power through this lens, begins to lay aside many areas of ambiguity. Let us not think then that there is necessarily a middle ground or a agree to disagree when it comes to the work of dismantling areas of racism and wickedness. For example, when we know that people are created in the image of God, the Holy God, how shall we look upon the brutalizing of the Native American people that has taken place from the genesis of this country. How shall we look at the many fleeing for their lives in Sudan? How shall we look at the horrors of the Holocaust? There is no middle ground. And I want to read this James Cohn quote. It says a person without a past is a person without an identity. And the absence of an identity is very serious because without self-knowledge, others can make you become what they desire. To be nothing means that you have done nothing in history worthwhile. James Cone, My Soul, looks back. Imago Dei does beckon us home. It beckons us to listen, to respect, especially in the marginalized in society. Often, Their stories are left untold, or even worse, obscured. Their stories are usually reframed in a light that makes the dominant culture feel less guilty. You can take a look at the history of the film industry in America to see the reframing of slavery and life in the South to see that the narrative that was told even up until recently was that life was mostly good. Imago Dei makes us quick to listen and slow to speak. After we have heard and after we have seen the cries of other human beings, regardless of their gender or religious background, how can we do anything but pray and act? Love demands of us acts of restorative justice. Let us not think that these acts must come in grandiose gestures although Lord willing, they might. Men and women throughout history have made small actions based upon their convictions that humanity should be treated equitably. Let Imago Dei beckon us home.
0: Thank you so much for reading that. Amen. When we talk about restorative justice, could you unpack that a little bit and, and how do you see that playing out And what you're up
1: to? Yeah, I think restorative justice is this vast Mm -hmm. concept. I think that intimidates us, right? And, you know, we saw it as, you know, buildings burned and as statues toppled this summer. And many, even well meaning people felt. Overwhelmed with the weight of, even if they want to um, reckon with America's history, well, what can you know? The the question would arise: What can I do? You know, what can I do to enter into this reckoning? What can I do to recompense the blood that is on our collective hands? Right, and so I tend to think of things. In very small ways, you know, we can uh, change incrementally. That's the only way we can move forward, uh, r- rather than grandiose uh, gestures, which is what I wrote wrote there. So, restorative acts and restorative justice, for me, uh, first on the small uh, level, looks like first learning. So rather than turning away from all that uh, this nation has uh, meted out towards the marginalized, I think it is the collective duty of every single soul that that resides here. It's our duty to learn, especially if you are the dominant culture. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not your duty to turn away just because you yourself didn't enact uh, gross injustices on people. Uh, you do benefit from <laughs> uh, uh, levels of imbalance and levels of white supremacy, right? So you can learn. You can learn how you are benefiting today from white supremacy, right? Mm-hmm. Google is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, lo- I always love how people will ask me uh, things that they can Google themselves. Um, <laughs> they're like, I just don't know where to start.
0: It's a couple keystrokes away. <laughs> yeah,
1: like it is at your fingertips. So <laughs> your iPhone can help you out. But I, but seriously, um, and ignorance is often a choice. Hmm. Coupled with that, you can support the work of people who are trying to educate. Um, shout out to Patreon. Um, you can uh, support the work of people like, you know, Lisa DeLay and others, you know, you can support those people who are trying to educate, who are trying to put out light in the world. Mm-hmm. That is part of restorative justice. I myself support mm-hmm. so many different uh, women and men because I want to be part of that restorative work. And I think it is my duty to do that. Uh, even as a black man, um, I want to be part of that building up. Right. And so, um, yeah. So educating myself being part of the restorative work by supporting other indigenous black Latin X, um, tons of other, other, uh, people doing the work. Right. So, yeah. so those are two things. I also think you're not above, um, protesting. You're not, uh, you're not above removing your dollars from organizations that you know are harmful mm-hmm. to uh, black and Brown bodies. Right. Like there are, um, organizations out here that are actively harmful, um, Two black and brown bodies don't support them <laughs> yeah. and give your dollars to organizations that are actively doing the work. So um, Ben and Jerry's uh, has been actively doing the work. I, I've been surprised, especially in the past year, Ben and Jerry's, I thought it was a joke at first, but no, they really have taken a stance and they, they have the most, uh, comprehensive uh, statements um, (laughs) that I've ever seen out of any brand. (laughs) So um, it's, it's been shocking to me. So anyway, so you can use your money to support uh, things that line up with your values. So I was, Mm -hmm. so I'll say all that. And then there are grandiose ways that I think society um, can, um, that they can engage in. And so this is beyond an individual level. I think society can do a lot to right the wrongs that society has done to oppress the marginalized. Um, and that could be, um, the government could do active work to give back land to native Americans, um, to repent and restore, uh, all of the ways that they have brutalized and killed native Americans and, black Americans, um, etc. et cetera. So, yeah. so yeah. So I think there are small ways we can inch towards, um, equity. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think speaking as a person who has benefited from light skin and is white in this world, I, I live out as a white person in this world, but I have dark relatives who do not, I can see up close how they do not get the same treatment. Uh, it's right up in my life and it's not, It's not something I had to figure out by reading in a book. I can say that what I I notice happens sometimes for light-skinned people is that they don't want to feel guilty for something or have to think and be uncomfortable. Like, I I feel uncomfortable that I might be doing something wrong, and I don't really want to go into it and learn more because this feels really awful. And I don't want to hurt anybody, but I also don't want to continue to feel yucky.
1: Yeah,
0: (laughs) What I would say to that is that push past that discomfort because right after that comes opportunities for healing and connection that you haven't had before that Mm. are such a blessing from God. Again, it's a connection with the Imago Dei and, uh, and others. And just stop thinking about yourself. Often as a white response is, how do I feel about this thing that the Black people are talking about? It doesn't matter how you feel about it yeah stop talking and listen and do what black people are saying if the black community is saying something's hurting them don't say that it's not hurting them yes and don't say that you didn't do something to hurt them just stop talking and thinking about yourself and say what could i do to help oh my god that's horrible what would you like me to do to help? And if they say, stop talking, then do that. If they say, we could use some, some of your time or some of your money, try to do that. What's interesting is this over-owning that can really muddy the works. If yeah. people in our community that look different than us who have different paths are hurting, that's on us to help them it's not on us to to take it over and yeah and and decide what they should think and do but it's kind of this first knee-jerk reaction is like the the worst kind of response you can have and so i would just say to who are uncomfortable with either the term anti-racist or not knowing what to do is first just listen learn Try to enact some of the things that are being suggested by the leadership and let people of color, black people, lead. Don't you lead something. Yeah. Be a follower. You know, be a follower for goodness sakes, for once in your life.
1: <laughs> One thing that either white people or white adjacent people or, or white passing people could do is they, they could give up some of the airtime. And they could use the resources to uplift uh, Black and Brown people. It would be so helpful, you know. Whether it's in theological spaces, whether it's when we have books come out, whether it's when we're at the table, could you give up some of your airtime so that we could speak? You know, so that you know that our um, our needs can have center stage, so that our books can have center stage. Um, typically when we write a book, do you know, our, our books have to be so f- phenomenal and have so much, uh, momentum that they have to blow mediocre books aside. I mean, uh, <laughs> um, just to get on par with, uh, like a low level book from, if I'm honest, oh. uh, A white man so amplify our voices so if you you see we write a resource amplify that retweet that if you see we have a podcast retweet that if we're in spaces with you when we're in conversation amplify our voices you know um it shouldn't be that we should have to fight for ourselves um all of the time, you know, I, am in seminary and I, it's just funny, you know, the the things that we have to fight for, um, in these spaces, what'd you say? Give
0: me an example. Um, uh,
1: we're I've got, start. I've got hundreds. <laughs> um, so I, we were talking about, um, I've got two examples. We were talking about the, the needs within this nation recently. Um, and so there was an hour-long conversation in seminary, and and people were saying what we need. And so there was endless talk about orthodoxy, and the the conversation essentially was white orthodoxy, oh. uh, and they and they didn't know it was white orthodoxy. Um, so was
0: normal. <laughs>
1: yeah, normal, <laughs> normal, quote unquote. Yeah. And uh, I found myself frustrated with the conversation oh. because they didn't know that. The argument you guys are having is white orthodoxy. And as the only black person sitting in this class, mm. can I have a timeout? <laughs> None of this is relevant to my people. <laughs> and I know if I bring that up, it's going to be the game changer on this whole conversation and I'll feel aggressive. Mm. Um You know, so so being in that conversation and and having to walk on eggshells in that, mm. in the midst of of that, you know, and also seeing, um, you know, books come out and, uh, and seeing my, uh, a black woman have a book come out and, then not doing as well in, in reading it, knowing it was awesome, but seeing mm. a mediocre book come out by a white man. Mm-hmm. And it I read that book and it was not awesome
0: <laughs> Right, right.
1: <laughs> and it did amazing. I mean, it did swimmingly and knowing how hard she had to work to get the word out. And it just hurt me to see like, what if that man gave up some of his airtime to amplify the sister, you know, or so together forward, they could both, yeah. you know, ride that wave, you know? And, and so it's not either or, and it's not saying that the, that this brother in Christ, you know, should have not done well. It's like could he have uplifted this this sister so they both could have written? You know, so
0: take somebody with you when you're doing well. Yes, and, and it's here's the thing too is that if you are, you should be reading and learning from people who aren't like you. Yes, uh, if you're if you're white, do do that. Yes, of course, because that's even a problem. But then when you do, pass along the idea as not your idea, yes. and recommend the book because I see a lot of people scamming ideas and and just repeating them, but not actually giving credit and saying, "Oh my gosh, I learned this from this wonderful uh, book from this." amazingly talented smart black woman get this book now don't say the smart thing and look like you said it you know Thanks. that hang somebody with you and that is i think exactly like that is the christian thing to do period yes. and and so when when i expect this in the secular world because it's doggy dog world and king of the hill but in christian circles it should be absolutely unimaginable that we wouldn't help each other out. Um, in in those cases, especially if you have a really large platform, it's kind of like your platform is enormous. A lot of people could stand on that platform and you'll be just fine. Exactly. And you'll even look like a king or queen maker. Yes. It's not going to hurt you. Mm. As we basically start to wind down, I at the back of the devotional in a few different sections too, you talk about listening to black women. I'm not a black woman. You're not a black woman. Mm. But why do you make such a case for this as we're mm. kind of bridging into this territory right now?
1: And I want to say about what you were just saying. Yes. That is anti-racism as an ethic. You know, so that you know you said it's the Christian thing to do. Exactly. Like that is incorporating everything we we're just talking about in why I wrote the book. Like that is um, how you bridge all of this and having anti-racism as an ethic, right? Like mm. you, this isn't segmented from the rest of your life. Like, like using everything that's within you, uh reading uh, various authors of all different backgrounds is how you incorporate this as an ethic, right? So, but why black women read black women, I'm not a black woman is, um, it's important to me because I've evolved in um, my thinking concerning uh, black women, and I used to be very misogynistic. Um, and as I've grown, I've kind of coined uh, this term. And I, my apologies if it already was there and I don't, I did not know it. <laughs> and uh, I've turned. I've termed this thing called uh, anti-misogynist. And um, but especially as it relates to black women, I really think that black women are at the bottom rung of American society. And as I've grown in my appreciation for them in my community, I really see how they are uniquely situated in, especially American society and in church communities to, um, see a lot of things, to, um, see where people are coming from. They take a lot of abuse, uh, inside and outside of the church walls. They, uh, are able to effectively communicate, um, both inside and outside of the church. They are highly educated. They are highly, um, able to endure and i just really have grown in my appreciation of them and uh and who they are right and and i see the imago day in them and i feel like often there is this intense hatred of who they are in their very being mm-hmm. in who they are their bodies uh garner such hatred from all different people groups all different genders um seem to garner this hatred that um, I have found horrifying to me um, inside and outside of the church. And so what I've found is that when Black women do rise up in their God-given power, often they don't use it to diminish others. They really do use it uh, for the betterment of all. Mm -hmm. And so it's not about a Black supremacy thing. I found often they want to use it to help others. Um, mm-hmm. And I've seen it time and time again, um, that when black women rise up, they really do want to help others. And um, and and so whether that's in pastoral leadership, whether that's um, in governmental structures, whether that's in activism, you can find them on Twitter um, in various spaces. And so, I'm really 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 find myself um amplifying black women you can find various womanist theologians um I've been benef- I've been benefited richly by womanist uh, theologians um, in the past couple years um their whole uh mo is uh, wanting the best and the thriving of Imago day so I've really, Uh, incorporated a lot of womanist uh, thinking into my own ethic, right? So, yeah, Yeah. I love it.
0: Yeah, and I think that it it is true that when you look at just statistically who has it the worst, you can be the best educated and receive the lowest pay across the board as a a woman of color a Black woman. Mm. In, In contrast, as a white man, you can fail upward. Yes, so It's just, it's unbelievable, but this is the kind of thing where I've noticed too, the level of empathy from Black women in academia or, or in leadership or, you know, just in the trenches working is often, very, very often a rich empathy because they know they've been on the bottom and they've struggled and struggled and struggled to get where they are. Yes. They get this deeper Empathy. And it's not like I can't wait to smash somebody and be at the top. No, yes. it's like, hey, I know this hurts when you're at the bottom, and I want us all to rise. Yes. That's the normal interactions I've had with Black women leaders, scholars. Yes. And unfortunately, they are the same people who will get targeted and vilified as the angry Black women. And, and I'm thinking, Wouldn't you be angry a little bit if you got constantly stepped on, disregarded, hated for your own body and and your own being? I'm surprised that we don't have mass murderers (laughs) that are constantly gunning people down. You don't see black women with machine guns like you see white men gunning people down. Exactly. But that would be what you would expect because this has been the history for hundreds of years. But instead, you see the opposite. Exactly. We do have so much to learn yeah. about the Imago Day, but I have also, just like you, you're saying, I have been so enriched by women's theology that's come out, as well as just hearing from Black women on all sorts of things, from not just theology, not just things that uh, relate to the Black community, but on parenting, on finances. Yes. and. It's not like there's just one kind of wisdom yes. that black people have. Like, oh, I can only talk to a black person about black things. Yes, <laughs> black people are actually just black people.
1: <laughs> Come on, sister Lisa, let's go.
0: <laughs> the more people I meet that are of varied backgrounds, you know, the richer our lives get. But I think that. Sometimes we don't feel like we're in a situation or a community that is diverse enough, and that's where it's nice to have things like bookstores, books, the Amen. internet to purposefully connect. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you have any reply to that or any yeah. way you want, want to wind this up, but you get the last word.
1: Yeah, I uh, yeah, I think that perfectly uh, gives me the segue to say that I hope that people take that away from my project, that uh, I really think that even if you're a white person and you read this, that it will not be what you expect, that I don't believe you'll come away thinking, oh my gosh, I'll be afraid to be white it will bash me. It will, you know, it will all, it will be about making me feel bad. Uh, I really wrote this in the hope and in the belief that I would shine the light on humanity and that you would see the beauty in who we are as people and partner that with how can we be good to one another? Um, I, I think of this uh, quote uh, from C.S. Lewis in one of the Narnia books uh, where Aslan said uh, uh, to one of the boys, and he said, uh, you know, my son, uh, grief in this land is great. You know, let us be good to one another. And I really want people to walk away from this project thinking, I want to do the highest good and think the highest good of fellow human beings. And it's not about only seeing the black and white binary. I want people to see all the various hues, all the various shades that are out there. I want you to see more color when you walk away from this. I want you to see it's not even just Latinx. I don't want you to even see that. I want you to see, no, there are all these countries in South America. I want you to see, the, I, want, I want your view to be expanded in beautiful ways. I want you to see your own uh, white culture in beautiful ways. And uh, and so, yeah, I want this to be the start of a conversation that uh, hopefully you'll be able to take into your, your family and that you will see America, uh, both the horrible parts and the beautiful parts, mm. and the other nations of the world. So, amen, amen. Yeah.
0: The book is called Subversive Stillness, an Anti-Racist Devotional for the Everyday Believer by Robert Monson, and you get it at subcultureinc.org. We're going to read it for February, and we'll talk about it online, and then we'll meet the first Wednesday of March, where Robert's going to join us live. You can ask questions we can read the parts of the book together, I think it'll be a really nice time to live interact with each other and connect, hopefully a whole bunch of us and a whole bunch of different kinds of us. And uh, it's just a joy to know you and to be able to interact about things that are hard, important, and ultimately bring about the blessed community and what God is up to in the world and, and within us as the Imago Day. Thank you so much, Robert.
1: Amen.